Well, I get to speak today on one of my favorite things about Rockbrook Church. Rockbrook has a unique quality in a group of people that I'm very much drawn toward. And if you're new here, I think you're going to pick up on it pretty quick. And that is the joy. There's just so much joy. Just a lot of people here that are happy to be Christians. And uh, it doesn't mean that everything goes right in their life. And uh, it doesn't mean that um, when I talk about joy, it's not a mood that comes or goes. That would be superficial joy. But when I say that, it's just that even in the face of tragedy, even in the face of sorrow, there's a peace, there's a joy, there's an optimism, there's enthusiasm. And I just love it because how many of you would agree with me today that in our world today, there is just a growing sense of negativity There's just a growing sense of people just looking at things and seeing the downside time and time again. Around the world today, it seems like people, man, they're looking for a reason to be critical. They're looking for a reason to be negative. They're looking for a reason to be negative about the church, negative about life. And it's almost as if it helps people feel better to be incredibly negative. And just think about the things we hear all the time, even in our own self-talk. Without knowing it, you can talk yourself into saying, well, I I don't have what it takes. My life stinks. I can't stand where I am in my life. And literally, we say that to ourselves over and over and over again until we almost talk ourselves into having a bad life. And you talk to people all around the world today, and they're going to comment on the negative things, that the economy is doomed. Morals are falling apart. The school system stinks. You can't trust anybody. Millennials, teenagers, the government, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Churches are dying. You hear so much negativity about the church, how the church is failing or what the church is doing wrong. And, and I want you to come to a place where just even like that example, the church, I love the church. I mean, the church is where I discovered my Savior, Jesus. The church is who is discipling me. The church is where I found my best friends. The church is where I met my wife. Who, the church is who witnessed my wedding, who helped me dedicate my son. The church is who will reach the lost world with the undying hope of Christ. The church is who will spend eternity with and some want to be negative when there's so much to be positive about. Now, I'm not naive. I know that there's a lot of things going wrong in the world. There's no doubt about it. And as Jesus followers, the message of this series isn't to bury our heads in the sand and just have this superficial sense of uh, that everything's going to be okay and just ignore all of that. There's, but there is a lot going wrong. At the same time, all over the world, there is a lot going right. And there's a lot the church is doing quite well. And uh, God is doing quite well for himself. And there are so many things happening right in the world. Uh, It's just really a matter of what you're looking for. My wife and I have a saying uh, that we use quite often because we found it to be so true. And that is that you find what you're looking for. You find what you're looking for. And that's not just a a neat pastor saying. That's actually in scripture. Look at Proverbs 11.27 with me. It says, if you search for good, let's read this out loud together. If you search for good, you will find favor, but if you search for evil, it will find you. So if you search for good, you will find it. If you search for evil, not only will you find it, it will find you. 
And we often find what we are looking for. I love the illustration of two different types of birds. You take a hummingbird and a buzzard, and every single day, what does a hummingbird find? Sweet things every single day, day after day. Sweet things to eat from and dwell on every single day. What does a buzzard find? A buzzard swerves around and finds dead things every single day to chew on and dwell on, proving you find what you're looking for. And if you want to be negative and find the negative, if you want to be miserable, if you want to find death, you can search for it and find it. But if you search for the good, you will find that as well. And you choose what you're looking for. And I invite you in this series to choose joy. So each week of this series, we're going to look at a different element of joy. Uh, We're going to look at uh, how to be enthusiastic, how to be encouraging, how to have gratitude, and how to be grateful. And then today, we're looking at optimism, how to be optimistic. So interesting, so many people are... Um, more naturally optimistic, and some are more naturally pessimistic. And some see the glass half empty, while others see the glass half full. And what I want you to see today is that the glass is not half empty. In fact, the glass isn't even half full. The glass is running over, folks. He prepares a table for me and before my enemies. And guess what? My cup, what? Runneth over. And what I want you to understand is that you don't have to talk yourself into seeing the glass half full, that there's a way to look at life and see that it's actually overflowing and you could have so much of the perspective of the goodness of God that you couldn't even be negative if you wanted to, that you couldn't see the glass half empty if you wanted to because it's overflowing. Now, some of you, even now, you're thinking, well, if it's overflowing, that means there's a mess on the floor and that's just... The mindset, but I want you to shift that mindset. And what I want you to see is that I'm not coming at this from a pop psychology standpoint where you talk yourself into optimism and you're not going to hear in this message um, that you're going to find the positive person within and you're going to find the optimistic person within or that you're going to do something uh, inside that uh, you're going to change because of you. No, it's much deeper than that. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. I'm not optimistic based on what I feel. So it's not a feeling that we're shooting for. I'm optimistic based on what God says. And I want you to hear this because... I don't want you to be optimistic just because by nature or just because everything is going to get better because now I showed up. No, I'm not optimistic based on a feeling. I'm optimistic based on a truth. I'm not optimistic based on what I feel, but on what God, based on what God says. So you're not going to leave here today with a quote of why you can be more optimistic. You're not going to leave here today with Ryland's reasons of uh, why you should be more optimistic. You can leave here today with what God says. I actually want to give you eight different reasons from the word of God of why I'm optimistic from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most powerful chapters in scripture. It's one of my favorites. It's very dear to my heart. Uh, It's just seen it in my life time and time again show up in very meaningful moments. This was the last chapter of scripture I read with my grandmother uh, right before she passed away um, just a few months ago. 
And you could just even see in her eyes, even though she was very weak and failing in that moment, you could see in her eyes uh, just gleaming from the promises of God. And in even what was a very dark moment, you could see she was very optimistic about what was to come. And that's just such a great testimony of what you have when you cling to the promises of God and you cling to the truth of God. So I want us to settle in on eight truths found in Romans 8. Now you could read through Romans 8 and find about 23 different reasons to be optimistic, uh, but that's a whole lot, so we tried to narrow it down to eight, and eight reasons from Romans 8 sounds a lot cooler, doesn't it? So uh, that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to show you reasons why I'm optimistic and why you can be optimistic too. Not based on what we feel. No, no, no. Based on what God's word says. So let's jump in. And uh, eight is still a lot, so it's going to be kind of rapid fire today. Uh, But let's jump in. The first reason I'm optimistic is because my sins are forgiven and my eternity is secure. I'm absolutely and completely eternally optimistic because my sins are forgiven And my eternity is secure. For those of you who have called on Jesus, you've been made new in Christ. Your sins are forgiven and you have an eternal home in heaven. You're free from the law of sin and death. And I've been forgiven of a lot. So this makes me incredibly optimistic about the goodness of my Lord God who shed his blood that I could be forgiven. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And this is what Jesus has done for you and me. There's no condemnation because he came and he achieved living the perfect life that none of us could live. And he he had a public ministry of miracles and teaching and healing. And he died publicly In our place on the cross, he rose from the dead, giving us new life. He was seen by hundreds of people, proving he he was God. And those people told everyone what they saw, and they wrote it down, and they investigated it. And many even died for their belief. And I'm putting it that way to you today to build your confidence in the story of Christ and in Christianity. Because other religions, false religions, started with one person having a dream about God, or one person having an idea about God, or one person uh, being approached by a so-called angel and giving them an idea about God. And then that one person told other people what they heard and saw, that idea, and then it slowly built momentum over time. Christianity happened just the opposite. Hundreds and hundreds of people got their idea from God they all united around it, and they, it didn't slowly build momentum over time. It busted out of the gates with fury and with wildfire and spread, and it wasn't building momentum slowly over time, trying to get people. No, they saw it. They heard it. They witnessed it. They saw Jesus die. They saw him risen from the dead. He proved he was God to them, and it spread like wildfire, and that's totally different. And I'm just trying to build your confidence in it that we're not standing on shaky ground. We're not standing on someone's random idea about God and Jesus. God has not given us shaky ground to stand on. It is a firm foundation, our faith. And I'm optimistic today because of the truth of it. And that in that truth, my number one problem is solved. 
And that is that I'm made right with God and I have the forgiveness of sins and I have an eternal home in heaven. And so I've been forgiven and my eternity is secure and it makes me eternally optimistic. The second reason I'm optimistic, write this in, is because Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for me. Interceding, what does that mean? Well, Jesus did not go to heaven after his earthly ministry and take a break uh, from his role as eternal shepherd of, uh, to his people. Jesus is still very active on our behalf. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, he was seated at the right hand of God the Father to carry on his role of King of Kings, Lord of Lords, President of Presidents. And while this earth continues to be one for Christ, Jesus is the advocate for Christians, meaning he is our great defender. This is the intercessory role that he performs uh, for us, pleading our case that he fulfills. And Jesus is interceding for us while Satan, our accuser, is accusing us. And Satan says, God, don't you see their frailty? Don't you see their weakness? Don't you see their sin? Don't you see the times that they forget you? And Jesus intercedes and comes between that. And now God, when he looks at you, you are in Christ. Christ is in you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Christ is interceding on your behalf. Look at Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And Jesus is the only one who can do this. He's the only mediator between God and man. No one else. Not Mary, not a previous Christian, not one who's gone on to be with the Lord, not a saint, not angels. They don't have the power to do it. They don't have the power to intercede for us before the throne of the Almighty God. Christ alone mediates and intercedes between God and man. I have a friend named Buddy. Buddy Owens, and many of you know Buddy, he's spoken here a couple of times, and uh, he's done some of the small group curriculum that we've enjoyed, and Buddy is a pastor in California, and he has a very powerful ministry. He has spoken uh, to tens of thousands of people at a time. He used to uh, speak consistently at Promise Keepers and, and uh, different events like that, and uh, some of his books and his writings and particular messages of his have been very powerful in my life. And every time I see Buddy, he prays for me. Or any time I talk to Buddy, he prays for me. And when he prays for me, I, I open my eyes a little bit because it's like the heavens are opening up. And he's just, I mean, he's doing amazing things in his prayers where he's praying against certain things and praying for certain things in my life. And I'm telling you, when Buddy prays, the devil runs. I'd run if I were the devil, uh, if Buddy's just so powerful in his prayer. And, and if I were God and Buddy were praying, I'd be like, angels, shh, be a little quieter. Buddy's praying right now. It's just so powerful. And yesterday afternoon on my way to church, I got a text from Buddy that said he was praying for me. And that just gave me some confidence. It made me feel good knowing that Buddy was going before the Lord for me that day. What's even more amazing 
is not that Buddy is praying for me, but that the Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he has the ear of God, and Jesus knows exactly what I need and knows exactly what I'm going through because he lived on this earth, and Jesus is going before the throne of God for me and interceding. And I don't know about you, but the thought that Jesus is interceding for me, praying for me, thinking about me, that his voice is stronger than the one who accuses me, that his voice is stronger than the one in my head that says, I don't, I can't do this. I can't carry on. It makes me eternally optimistic. Number three, I'm optimistic because my future victory is greater than my present pain. I'm optimistic because what I'm going through now is doing something in me that's sharpening me and conforming me to the image of his son, Jesus. My future victory is greater than my present pain. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we've talked about this before. Uh, It's the Apostle Paul who wrote this. And he was going through very significant things. I mean... Yes, we've been through significant things, but Paul says this after being beaten time and time again, shipwrecked time and time again. He was whipped. He was left for dead. He was beaten within an inch of his life, uh, actually to the point where they thought he was dead and tortured time and time again for believing in Jesus. And he says, I consider these present sufferings not even worth comparing to the glory of what God is going to do. I don't know what you're going through right now. And I know sometimes the grief is more than you can bear. And sometimes the disappointment is so strong. But how comforting to know that our future victory and our position in heaven outweighs that grief. That how devastating it seems right now, how devastating it is right now, it will not only be as equally powerful for the positive, but even more so. So even with the thorns of life, even in temptation, even in hardship, even in opposition, even in rejection, even in need, even in those thorns of life, I have joy, I have optimism, because what is coming is greater than all of those things combined. And everything will one day be redeemed. My life will be redeemed. My body will be redeemed. This earth will be redeemed. I'm optimistic because my future victory is greater than my present pain. Let's look at number four. I'm eternally optimistic because my mind is filled with the peace of God. My mind is filled with the peace of God. Verse six says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I ask you today, what is governing your mind? Who is governing your mind? Who governs your thoughts? Who governs the perspective you have? To those who have been formed into the family of God, you don't have to be dominated by the fleshly sinful nature. Your mind can be renewed by the washing of God's Word. God's Word renews your mind. That you can stop thinking the negative, the earthly, the sinful thoughts. Instead, you can get an eternal perspective based on God's truth. 
And suddenly when we see these things from God's perspective, because of his goodness, because of his strength and the way he can bring glory to his name out of even the worst situations in the middle of a trial, you can have supernatural peace that goes beyond your human ability to understand. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been through it. And you've even had people ask you in those moments, how are you so cool right now? How, do, how can you have peace right now? And you know what? I'm not getting through it on my own. My mind has peace. Why? Because it is ruled. It is governed by God. And if we choose to be governed by the Spirit and not by the flesh, our mind can be filled with the peace of God. And something that could be so concerning or so tragic, you can even have peace about. And you can dwell on what is good and right and lovely. And your mind can have the peace of God. Number five, I'm optimistic because if God is for me, who can be against me? If my God is for me, who can be against me? This is exactly uh, what it says in verse 31 and 33. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Now let's call this like it is. Who can be against us? Well, some of you go, I know somebody who's against me right now. And the truth is, yes, people will criticize you. People will come against you. They may not like you. They'll take shots at you. They may harm you. But the reality is, if God is for us, what does it really matter? If God approves of us, what does it really matter that they disapprove? How much does that affect me? How much does you harming me affect me when I have God's peace and God's pleasure in my life? In fact, when you start living boldly for Jesus, and I hope you do, people will make fun of you. They will ridicule you. They may even persecute you. But if God's got your back, what does it matter? When we're boldly serving Jesus, the world pushes back on it, doesn't like it. And we have to find that category in our mind that says, if God called me to it, then he's going to provide the way. And if God called me to it and they don't like it, I'm glorifying him. So if God is for me, who can be against me? If my heavenly father is for me, who can be against me? I'm going to live for him and him alone. I'm optimistic because I believe my God is for me. That he has plans to bless me, to prosper me, not to harm me. But he has a future for me and my God has plans to bless you, to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. What can man do to me? And you can be optimistic because God is for you. Let's look at number six. I'm optimistic because God's spirit helps me in my weakness. I'm optimistic because when I am weak, his spirit makes me strong. Romans 8, 24 through 26. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that's where some of you are right now. You're waiting on God to be faithful to a promise. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That whenever we are down, this Holy Spirit holds us up. Whenever we are hurting, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Whenever we feel alone, the Holy Spirit is our friend. Whenever we are weak, the Holy Spirit is strong through us. I can be optimistic because I'm never, ever alone. And when I am weak, I'm getting to know God in a more intimate way. 
and I get to know God in a more personal way. Why? Because his spirit is strong for me when I am weak. So the Christian, the Christian is not one who says, I'm becoming more competent and more strong all the time. No, the Christian is one who says, I'm becoming increasingly aware of how weak and how incompetent I really am and how competent and strong Jesus was for me and continues to be for me through his spirit. The Christian isn't one who says, oh, I'm getting to a place where I don't need a savior. The Christian is one who is on his knees every day and says, God, I still need you. God, I'm weak today and I still need you. I still need a savior. Now, just as ever, I need a savior, God. I need you. I need your Holy Spirit speaking to me today. I need your peace. I need your presence in my life because I'm weak, I'm vulnerable, but through you, I am strong. I'm not optimistic just because of what I feel. I'm optimistic because of what God says. And God says, I have sent an advocate, a Holy Spirit, who can be strong for you. Rely on him. Number seven, I'm optimistic because my God is working everything in my life for good. You can be optimistic because God is working everything in your life for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That two-word phrase, all things in the Bible, shows up 353 times. If you look up the phrase all things in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it means all things. And if you look up in the Greek, in the New Testament, guess what it means? All things. Everything. Not just good things. All things. And that is why you can be sure that every detail of our life will be redeemed for good. Inconceivable things, irreconcilable things, unfair things, discouraging things, mediocre things, the things that you're glad that they happened, the things you wish that would have never happened, the thing right now that's just driving you crazy. God is working in that thing, Scripture says, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I wonder if you feel like all things work together for you, or if all things conspire together against you. (laughs) I think we can get the feeling after a while that things aren't working together for us, but that they seem to be conspiring together against us. And I'll say if you live your life making destructive choices, choices that are contrary to the word of God, there's every chance of reaping what you sow and it will feel like uh, things are conspiring against you more than they are working for you. If you live your life spewing out negativity and defeat, it will feel a lot more like things are conspiring against you than working for you. If you live your life complacent, mediocre, What a tragedy, because things work together for our good when we work according to his purpose. All things work together for good. It doesn't stop there. For those who love him, it doesn't even stop there. There's a comma. Who have been called according to his purpose. All things work together for those who are loving God and living called. 
There's not a thing that will happen in your life that the goodness of our God will not transform into something that eventually brings about glory. That you can look back over your life and see this. Uh, Years ago, the thing that you thought, this is the worst thing ever. Since then, what? You've been loving God. You've been living called. He's been working that thing together for good. That's the reality of our good God, what he is like. And sometimes you don't feel him. Sometimes you don't see him. Sometimes you think he's not working. But faith tells you that he's there, that I can trust him because he knows the end from the beginning. Long before tomorrow even starts, he's already there. So I can wake up today, loving God, stepping into my calling today, and see that everything, as I love God and live called, is working together for my good. If I choose to wake up and not love God, if I choose to wake up and not live called, that I don't recognize his purpose, that I don't live for him, I don't think about him today, it may be that things are conspiring against me. I hope this speaks to somebody today, that the very thing that's crushing your heart right now, one day you can see the faithfulness of God, that you can be optimistic because God is so amazing. So I encourage you, love God, live called, see things working together. Number eight, I tell you why I'm optimistic with everything in me. I'm full of optimism because nothing can separate me from the love of of God. I hope there's someone here today that will feel this today, that there's nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, in verse 38 and 39, it talks about the power of this truth. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, and if that doesn't cover it, (laughs) neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No no matter where you go, our God is there. No matter what you do, our God still loves you. No matter what happens in your life, God is for you. You cannot outrun his love. You cannot do something to cause him to stop loving you. You cannot run away from his presence. He will chase you down. In fact, some of you are here today and you've been trying to argue a way out of this. It's this and that and and every reason you should walk away from God. And the reason you're here is because God is running you down and that God has, because God has not given up on you yet because somebody's praying for you. And you want to be negative, you don't want to like it, but there's something inside of you that says, I still want to believe. What is that? That is the seed of faith that God has put inside you that says, yes, there may be bad things happening in the world. There may be bad things that I have led into my life, but I still have a God who's bigger than the worst thing in this world. I have a Savior whose name is above every name. And I hope you'll believe in Jesus. I hope you'll get in on these things because I want you to be able to say I'm optimistic not based on what I feel, not even based on what I see. I'm optimistic because of what God says. I'm optimistic because my sins are forgiven. 
I'm optimistic because my Savior is Jesus. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And he's interceding for me. I'm optimistic because my present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed. I'm optimistic because my mind is filled with the peace of God. I'm optimistic because my God is for me. Therefore, no one can come against me. I'm optimistic because God's Spirit works in my weakness. And I am weak. I'm optimistic because my God is working all things for good in my life as I love him and I live cold. And I'm optimistic that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. I'm optimistic that God is going to speak to someone today. That when everyone else says the world is falling apart, it's useless, there is no God, my life stinks, I can't believe we're here You're going to say, yes, there is a lot of bad things in the world. But I'm not even going to look at it that way because my God's too good for that. I'm not even going to look at the glass as half full because my God's too good for that. My cup runneth over. And yes, there are some negative things, but I'm optimistic, not based on what I see, but based on who my God is and what he says. And I choose to believe in the goodness of God. And when everyone else is acting like a buzzard and they're going to wake up tomorrow, oh God, it's Monday. They're going to find the negative. They're going to see where it's failing. You're going to be a hummingbird. You're going to dwell on the goodness of God. I encourage you, uh, just in starting today, uh, you can each day take one of these promises and study it before the next time we're together. Just take this week and Today, look up that first verse and the first point, cross-reference it with every verse like it in in your Bible. Your study Bible will help you do that. Most Bibles have uh, cross-references and just get this truth inside of you so that when the storm comes, you have a rope to cling to. You're not gonna say, I can't remember a promise of God. No, I'm standing firm on the promises of God. I'm eternally optimistic because my mind is filled with the peace and the promises of God. And I can see the sweetness and the goodness of God everywhere I look. And I can choose joy. I want us to spend just a few minutes uh, in prayer together today. Father, thank you so much for your presence in this place. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that out of one chapter in the Bible, there's so many reasons we can be full of faith and eternally optimistic. In church today, if if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you call on him, God starts working these things into your life. They are your hope. So would you just say, I need God's forgiveness. I need his grace. I I want to surrender my whole life to him. I need his forgiveness. And I need to completely surrender to Jesus. Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died in my place. And he rose again. And by the power of his spirit, I can live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you, serve you, follow you. God, I pray that your word would be planted so deeply within our hearts that it would bring about eternal change. God, make us optimistic, not because of what we see, but not because we talk ourselves into it, 
but God, because of who you are and what you say. I'm asking God during the next five weeks, would you do a divine work in me? Rather than always drifting and floating to the negative, the critical, the bitter, the angry, what I want to do is I want to drift to faith, to generosity, to encouragement, to enthusiasm, to gratitude. I want to drift to being spiritually and eternally optimistic because my God is that good. And God, I pray that you would just awaken us to see how this could transform families. That when someone comes home, they're not filled with the negative, but instead they're seeing where you are working. God, I can't even imagine how this could impact a marriage, how it could impact children, impact an office climate, impact a work environment, how it could impact a small group, how it could impact a church and our witness. And rather than focusing on the negative, we want to see where you are working and join you in that work. God, help us to love you. Help us to live called. And God, I pray that the eight reasons from Romans 8 would be planted deep within our hearts. Help us to study them this week. Help us to cling to them tightly. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's sing loud. Let's thank him for his goodness.